It's the TEH podcast, episode number 166. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. How's it going, Gary? Well, pretty good. Pretty good, Leo. If you are Leo, perhaps. <laughs> Darn, you beat me to it. I perhaps was I'm ask. not actually talking to a real human. And, uh, and perhaps I'm not talking to a real human. Could which be. Of us, which, which of us is real? How, it would be how, a lot easier to do this podcast if we could just figure out how to program AIs to just do it for us. and Have the podcast for us? Yeah. That would be really interesting. Um, <laughs> or would it? So, yeah, obviously the topic today is AI. Um, there was a story in the news, I think it was just last week, where um, an engineer out at Google made the claim that uh, one of their internal projects called Lambda, L-A-M-D-A, it's an acronym that stands for something important, I'm sure, that um, it had become sentient. And uh, of course, he was promptly fired. <laughs> well, he, was, he wasn't fired. He was uh, placed on administrative leave, which is corporate speak for you're about to be fired. The, um, and of course, the reason he was put on, on administrative leave was not because he made these claims, but because he um, violated their privacy policy. Basically, you're not supposed to talk about this stuff, especially apparently the AI stuff in public. And he did. And therefore, um, they slapped him. First but rule it, of Google AI is don't, don't talk, talk about, about Google AI. Google AI. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought it was an interesting topic for just a bunch of different reasons. Um, I've got a, a number of links in our show notes today, mm. and I um, uh, I just thought it would be interesting to run through some of the specifics of this situation, and also then um, some of the implications and just sort of a more general discussion about AI, because it is a topic that we um, not only do hear about fairly frequently these days, but I think we're really going to be hearing a lot more of it in um, in the coming years. So it's something I think that it would serve us all to uh, just become a little bit more familiar with. Mm. Now, the engineer in particular, um, I yeah, I'm not I'm not going to bother with his name. You can find out if you want to, but I thought it was kind of interesting that in doing some of the research on this particular story. Um, he turns out to be a, uh, he, let's see, quote, he grew up on a conservative Christian family on a small farm in Louisiana, became mm -hmm. ordained as a mystic Christian priest and served in the army before studying the occult. So I, I've got no problems with any of that other than to say that he qualifies as what I would normally call a character, someone who has mm -hmm. uh, a, a slightly out of the norm uh, personality and range of interest, which is, to be honest, kind of typical for a lot of um, uh, uh, engineering firms, software firms, the Googles and the Microsofts. I mean, I certainly ran into uh, more than my share, an above average number of characters while we were at Microsoft. Um, and they were all there because they were ultimately really, really smart and really, really good at what they were doing. Um, and this sounds like this is what this guy was all about. I mean, he, he, he lives and breathes AI, understanding it. He has a, uh, um, a passion for making sure that it's all handled ethically, which is something that I think we'll return to um, in a moment. But um, I just thought it was interesting that he was a bit of a um, a bit of a character, and that actually becomes uh, relevant because, um, again, quoting one of the publications, he concluded that Lambda was a person 
in his capacity as a priest, not a scientist, mm. and then tried to conduct experiments to prove it, which huh. I thought was an interesting way to approach the problem. <laughs> it was. Uh, I, I, I was also, you know, when I read that part of the story, I, you know, my first thing was, well, I, it's easy to discount what he says based on that. But isn't that one of the logical fallacies too? Like attacking the person's character of well, yeah, yeah, making the I, argument I'm, rather than the argument themselves? Absolutely it's, not it's, trying to per, you know, provide no, an no, ad hominem I, attack here. It's just it, ad hominem. It, it, that's it. Yeah. Ad hominem. I, it, 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 but it colors the discussion in an interesting way. No, I was personally thinking myself, like, I don't want to commit that logical fallacy, right? So I was going to look further. And the, the thing, when I finally found something that was a little more concrete, I did read somebody wrote um, that he's the one that came, he came forward and said, I think sentient. Note that there are hundreds of other people in the program who disagree. Right. So that to me was like, oh, okay. It's, you know, because the story sometimes make it seem like, hey, this guy working with an AI says, uh, this AI sent sentient. Well, okay, you're discounting, <laughs> you know, it's like the four out of five doctors thing. Or right. in this case, the, <laughs> you know, 399 out of 400 doctors thing. Um, right. You know, so it's like, oh, okay, now I found the, the, the key to the story here is there are hundreds of other people also working on this project that were like, no. <laughs> So well, what, me, what I think is important about this story is um, not necessarily that, you know, this one person happens mm. to think that this one instance of an AI happens to be sentient. I think that, um, you know, obviously, it, like I said, AI is bigger than news. You're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the coming years. Um, I think it really opens up a very interesting, um, a very interesting discussion about AI, about what it is and it is not. And what the ramifications might be uh, mm -hmm. for our our future, like I said, like you said, setting if you just set this guy aside and his claims aside, he's the guy that got the headline. But the headline is a very interesting um, segue into what I think is a much larger discussion. I think it's worth looking at Lambda specifically, the AI that he was uh, talking about, because and I actually um, uh, read parts of his quote-unquote discussion with Lambda, which is where he based his, um, his judgment on. And yeah, it reads as a really interesting discussion between two, I'll just say, entities without kind of uh, implying anything about either side. Mm -hmm. um, and But, but the, the interesting thing about Lambda is how it was created. The thing with AI is that uh, they basically take an immense amount of data, mm -hmm. more data than I think the human brain is capable of even conceptualizing, and using that as essentially a database of, to oversimplify, when somebody says this, I should say that. Mm, yeah. And taken to an extreme, right? That's why I say it's really hard to conceptualize because uh, for example, in this case, Lambda, uh, some of the data that was fed into the AI is things like Wikipedia or Reddit or message boards and other places of the internet. And when I say Wikipedia, I mean all of Wikipedia. Yeah. When I say Reddit, I mean all of the discussions on Reddit. Yikes! Um, I don't know if that's where where I would have gotten my discussions what, from, but okay. It's it's an it's an well, but when you think about it, 
Wikipedia is skewed one way, right? Mm. It's very, if, if you've ever read a Wikipedia article, and who oh, hasn't, no. um, it has a very interesting style, but it is not a style that would be um, ever really considered conversational. Whereas when you get to a place like Reddit, you're almost at the other extreme where things are almost too conversational. And that's one of the things that the, the engineers are really trying to, uh, uh, to focus on is making sure that the AIs they produce don't go the wrong direction, right? We, I mean, we remember, I think it was like three or four years ago, Microsoft threw out an AI chatbot and it took like two hours before it became incredibly offensive because it was learning from everybody that was chatting with it. Uh -huh. um, the approach they're taking here is to basically choose the inputs, a massive amount of input, and then see where things lead. But ultimately, what it really boils down to is it's all about pattern recognition. When somebody says this, I should say that. Mm. where the this and that are, by their very nature, incredibly complex and almost uh, almost literally inconceivable to predict, which is one of the other things that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, so one of the things that I thought was really, really interesting is this concept that AI, it doesn't need to be sentient to feel real. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a couple things here. One is what does sentient even mean? Right. This is one of those, um, ongoing arguments that I think will never be answered. And it's not new to technology. Philosophers have been arguing about what it means to be sentient. What does sentience really mean, um, for millennia, literally thousands of years. This is just a new instance of that same argument, uh, being made concrete here. We've got some technology that's doing something. Is it sentient? I don't know that it's a question we'll ever really get to answer. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's mm -hmm. funny though because I'm the sci-fi book I'm reading right now, which I'm going to recommend in the Ain and Cool section. Yes, that's actually having that exact discussion. It's actually the AI that wrote the book. I mean, obviously, sci-fi author wrote the book, right. but the book is supposedly <laughs> written first person from the perspective of an AI, 500 years in the future. Okay, and. The AI is just becoming whatever term you want to use, sentient. Right. Um, Self-aware self is the other part. Well, that's one. actually the thing. There's a whole several page section where the first person account is debating the terms sentient, conscious, or self-conscious. What's the difference between those three? And what do they mean? And, you know, interesting things that made me think about, I mean, like we both love, uh, you know, one of the things computers is our canine friends right which one are they i mean <laughs> they're not <laughs> i mean all humor aside for some of the antics they sometimes do you know they are would you describe them as conscious semi self-conscious or sentient all three some of those i guess it depends on your definition of each one of those i mean it's a really interesting thing and it all comes down to uh, a lot of times semantics that's what's your definition of each one right Right. And a, a lot of these discussions are happening without definitions, right? They're just making assumptions about what people assume these terms to mean. Um, I know that uh, when you talk about sentience, uh, it becomes extremely philosophical and less scientific because there are philosophies, Buddhism, for example, um, that considers most living things sentient. They are self-aware. 
uh, certainly the way my dogs act. They certainly seem to be self-aware at times and sometimes with a bit of a, a, a mean streak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the bottom line is that the terms that we're throwing around here have incredible meaning, um, mm-hmm. incredible assumptions behind them. Yep. And I'm not convinced that uh, we're ever going to come up with uh, a global definition of what those terms mean. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, do you remember? I'm sure you remember um, a program called Eliza. Yeah, I was going to actually bring that up too. Um, yes, so they've actually yeah. termed I've something. I've written one, you know, because oh, cool. it's part of the your, your computer science education. At least it was at the time I did it. Uh-huh. Is you know an assignment you would always have was to actually write Eliza. And, Interesting. I didn't realize um, that. Yeah, it was just basically a text parser. <laughs> you know, conversational thing. But right. the interesting thing about it that made me think of Eliza in terms of this story is basically all that Lambda is doing is having a conversation with you, which is all Eliza was doing. And when the first Eliza was made, probably on the mainframes at MIT, um, they, I remember there was a story of somebody who sat down who was not as knowledgeable in computers, but he mm-hmm. was still somebody there at the university who had a conversation with and was convinced it was sentient. Right. So, you know, and today that we would find that laughable. We would look at, you run Eliza and be like, oh, obviously this is just responding to prompts with a little trick here. Sure. Um, But in the, in the, you know, early days of computers, it seemed so fantastic that it would do that, that they were convinced, oh, the computer's talking to me. It's funny because um, uh, I'll read a quote here from the Vice article that I've got linked. Computer scientists even coined the ELISA effect to illustrate mm. the tendency we have to assign a deeper meaning to computational outputs and how we relate to computers by assigning them anthropomorphic qualities. And that seems like exactly what's happening here. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, obviously, what we're looking at here in terms of AI is significantly more AI-ish than um, Eliza ever was. Yeah, more sophisticated, definitely. But you could certainly call them both artificial intelligence. It was just Eliza was really, really dumb, right? <laughs> and now we've we've progressed some. What I find interesting is that, um, yes, today it's, I don't know, like you said, one against 399, right? There's a, there's one guy who's saying it's sentient and 399 who are saying it's not. Yeah, That number is going to shift. Mm-hmm. That number is going to change over time. And I don't think anybody will ever truly, um, I, I don't think we'll ever get to 400 and zero, right? Yeah. Um, there will always be oh, yeah. someone who is um, um, at the other end of that bell curve. My question is, in a lot of ways, does it matter? Hmm. Does it matter whether or not something is, you know, a, a technology is sentient or not, self-aware or not? Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, <laughs> right? Um, but ultimately, what matters probably more than um, achieving this milestone or this 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 state is um, what's it doing? What's it being used for? And ultimately, who's controlling it? And I think one of the things that is uh, causing a lot of people concern about this discussion, 
Um, and this specific event is not whether or not something is going to be called uh, self-aware or not. It's it's detracting from what they consider to be a much, much larger issue. And that is what this particular engineer actually was interested in, ethical use of AI. Here we've got mm -hmm. an opportunity to build AI. It's going to happen, right? We, we know that much. It's more a matter of when, and even when isn't a point in time, it's a gradual increase over time. Um, who's pulling the strings? Who's deciding what the AI should look like? Who's deciding what's acceptable for an AI to do or not do? What kind of controls are there being placed on it? Or are there controls being placed on it? Um, what's it? Uh, one of the things that happens here, like we were talking about earlier, there's this database of information that goes into informing the AI, the base model, what they call the model of the AI. Um, who decides what goes in? Right is I mean yeah. I, like like your reaction to Reddit, um, uh, you know I have the same reaction. There are some corners of Reddit that honestly, no individual should read, sentient or otherwise. Right? <laughs> there are corners. There are corners of Reddit that should just be off limit to anybody with a brain or an artificial intelligence. Uh, I don't want I don't want an artificial intelligence learning from that. And yeah, I could. Yet, yeah, and yet. I mean, somebody's got to decide what is and what isn't appropriate to do that. And that's where the discussion is, is heading right now, um, because, um, you know, the, the argument is that, you know, right now it's in the hands of the big, powerful companies, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, um, which means that they are in a position to truly define what this looks like in the future. And you got to believe it's going to be tweaked in their best interest, if that makes any sense, right? They're going to do it with their values, whatever those values might be. Um, I just, I, like I said, I find it a very, very interesting discussion and a very, very long-term one. Coincidentally, Microsoft literally this morning, like a few hours ago from this recording, um, uh, published a, a blog post about um, how they are building AI systems responsibly. Uh, which of course, all of the big man, you know, all of these developers are going to be saying, well, of course we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing ethically. We're doing it responsibly. We're doing it this and that and the other thing. And they'll probably publish lots and lots of papers um, and blog posts defining exactly what that means. But I think we're all, I'm reluctant to say that I'm cynical, but I'm at least skeptical that oh, yeah. in the long run, um, they're actually going to follow those kind of ideals uh, to the letter. Well, also it comes down to the fact is, you know, once a system like that's developed and, and say a simple AI that could actually, you know, digest something like Reddit and Wikipedia, right. and then, you know, be some level of intelligent, you can actually have a conversation and maybe use, um, once that's developed, the company that makes it could have every intention of being completely ethical and thinking about all of these issues. Mm -hmm. But then the software is made. Right. So somebody else gets hold of it right. or they start selling it. And somebody says, great, I'm just going to feed 4chan into it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh, yeah, the company that made, you know, it's like, the you know, the, I guess thinking of like, you know, all the, I don't know, all the scientific and engineering inventions we've ever made. Um, you could be the person who invents it and creates it could be really, you know, heading in the right direction. 
but then eventually the technology will get out there to someone else. And I, I don't know if that, I mean, artificial intelligence may or may not be something that's actually dangerous. It may just be annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, because, you know, it's, it's yet to be seen. It's like you can, any new adventure, you could say, well, that could be dangerous. But I mean, will artificial intelligence actually be something that's dangerous? We like to talk about that in science fiction and movies. But that may not yes. be anything close to the reality of what we get. The reality might be, shut up, Siri. The reality <laughs> might be corgis. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, it just might be corgis that are wildly amusing and sometimes mean. Speaking um, of which, speaking of which, you know, the the other uh, thing that has come up peripherally in this AI discussion are, of course, the uh, uh, the examples of this AI called Doll E, D-A-L-L-E. Yeah. which is a, a takeoff on uh, Salvador Dali's name crossed with uh, Wall-E, the little oh, yeah. robot from uh, for a Pixar movie. Um, I did try to have it um, generate some corgis for me. Yeah. They were they were not pretty. They, this was Ooh. scary stuff. This was these were the corgis of nightmares. So the <laughs> um, it, it has a way it has the ways to go there. Yeah, that's kind of. Uh, I mean, artificial intelligence in itself. A lot of people that don't work in the computer industry. I mean, it covers such a huge range from an app that like a middle schooler could write to play tic tac toe. Right, is AI. It is all the way up to the science fiction ideal of actually having like uh, a human like intelligence, the HAL 9000. Yeah, the HAL 9000, you know, and everything in between. Um, we actually have a lot of AI built into our everyday devices right now, mm -hmm. just doing some basic stuff, trying to predict some things that you know we may want uh, in our calendar because we got a note we got a something in an email, and maybe this is something you want in your calendar. And I mean, this all kind of falls under the scope of that even and of course anybody that plays games games for a long time now have ai in them whether it's something obvious like tic-tac-toe or chess or it's just simply how you know characters and video games behave right. and non-player right. characters npcs behave. In, in, in games absolutely yeah yeah there's so there's lots of different levels of it uh i've known people that you know have worked in game ai for a long time mm -hmm. and it gets um it gets really interesting. I mean, just trying, you know, in strategy games, trying to make an AI that will play a strategy game, a very complex one against you, like Civilization or something, mm -hmm. um, but not just play it against you and beat you, because sometimes that's easy to do, to right. actually take these games and say, let me program an AI. Oh, I've made one that's just unbeatable. So nobody wants to use that, but to actually make an AI that plays the game like they're a person playing against you. Right, right. Um, and it gets really interesting. And, you know, so it's all over the place. And just thinking in terms of like, oh, something becoming sentient, or I know in this case, in this new story, there's a lot of talk about whether an AI can have a soul, right. that kind of thing. Right. Um, Please define soul. Yes. Let's, yeah, let's start soul. by defining soul. <laughs> and then there, there's the whole other eth ethical thing is if you want to go way out in the science fiction thing and say that we could create a a sentient, conscious, self-aware AI in a computer, there's an off switch. What happens when you press oh, the off switch? But is there? But is there? So, so um, you, one of my most formative movies mm -hmm. was Colossus, the Forbin yes. Project. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, that 
was a pair of machines that essentially combined to become sent it's essentially sentient at least the movie would make you yeah. think that it was sentient self-aware etc um and there may have been an off switch but it was not something that um uh, humans either could or dared to um to turn off simply because the um uh, the the AI was in control of the nuclear arsenal. This was a Cold War era movie, so of course, nukes were a big big thing uh, at the time, and that's what they were using. So the AI had effectively uh, prevented, hidden its off switch, or made the cost of turning it off, or even trying to turn it off, so high that nobody would ever try. Um, the uh, uh, HAL nine thousand in two thousand one, Space Odyssey is the other end of the spectrum, where yeah, there's an off switch. Um, it's interesting in that it wasn't a it wasn't a binary on and off, right? It was a a thing where they go in and um, uh, turn off aspects of its functionality, um, right? Uh, so they they basically turn down its intelligence, um, right? The, in the game uh, Portal, mm -hmm. the AI there, Gladys, uh, you could you know you had to win and you had to remove parts of AI like. Mm -hmm. And the first one was, um, oh, it was like her, her last bits of uh, actual like holding back <laughs> from being completely evil, mm -hmm. you know. So you re remove that part, and she's like, "Oh, now I have no moral conscience at all. Thank you. Woohoo! <laughs> I could do much more now." <laughs> it's funny um, because the books that I'm reading right now, which I haven't brought up, just because I'm making I'm making progress in them, not not at a point where I'm ready to call them cool. Um, are the uh, precursors the the to the Dune stories? Yeah. If you know in Dune, there's very little technology, certainly no computers, and um, the uh, the if you look at the Dune timeline, if you read the books in that order, they start with what's called the Butlerian Jihad, which basically happens because technology has in fact evolved to both um, cyborgs, which are just human brains in a bucket attached to hardware. Um, and they have in turn developed true sentient uh, uh, machines that have taken over. Okay. And the whole, the first three book series is all about the war against, you know, basically how do you turn these things off once you've given them a complete control? Uh, so there's not always an off button. I would like to think there's an off button, no, but there but, may not necessarily always be an off button. But I was thinking more in terms of the opposite of that, the ethics behind if so, if you believe that, say, the AI that you just instantiated on your computer mm -hmm. has a soul, mm -hmm. if you turn off your computer, what did you just do? Murder. Did you just commit murder? Yes. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of an interesting, you know, there's a lot of ethics there to think about. Sure, uh, sure. I don't know. It's fascinating. And it's it's actually probably, I think AI is probably going to be one of the fastest growing um subgenres of science fiction. I mean it already is pretty big. Oh, I was yeah. actually going to mention a book I talked about uh on this show before um called uh Agri Avrigado Corp. Um and it's a book about uh the first AI and it starts out as an email program. Uh <laughs> It basically in this book, which Avogadro is a, uh, is basically supposed to be Google. That's you know the number makes sense. Reference. Yes, yeah. Um, somebody develops a G, what is supposed to be a Gmail or email uh, uh, extension that just has the one purpose to make your emails more effective. Okay. And based on that, 
it tries to, you know, it has some basic, oh, make you more effective. What does that mean? Well, it means it, it will help you in your job and your career and all of that. And then the uh, designers of the program decide, decide to test it by using it themselves. Well, what would help their careers and their their department other than trying to promote the extension they just made? So the extension tries to optimize emails to basically make itself more useful, more controlling, more everything. Indispensable, yes. Indispensable. And so it starts to grow and grow and grow. <laughs> And every time anybody's sending an email anywhere throughout the, the email um, system, it basically is just building itself like from a baby to actually becoming like an adult and never actually talks, never becomes like a, something you can converse with. It just starts taking things over. And I think by the end of the book, it's actually doing things like uh, putting the right people the, uh, together in the right room to cure cancer. Uh, because curing cancer would be more customers. <laughs> so it's curing cancer as a marketing strategy. I'm yes. <laughs> so it was a very fascinating book because it presents a different like, oh, you didn't think AI, the first sentient AI would actually be like this because they can't turn it off. Because, of course, backing itself up and having backup systems and contingencies right. would be also is, is also a part of it. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. And I've read other things in this book I'm reading now to figure out if the AI is actually going to be uh, a force for good or bad, or I suspect neither. I suspect that uh, it's more of a realistic kind of thing mm -hmm. where um, it's not going to be like one of those movies, like, oh, I hate that. And there's that movie uh, was out recently um, a few years ago where, you know, an a the typical AI becomes like Colossus. Be it, it becomes smart and you know, is able to quickly surpass all humans in terms of intelligence. Right. right. Um, because it's computers. So you can just throw more power at it. It's not limited right. by the like our brains. Whereas I tend to think it'll probably be more like the kind of thing where you end up with um, you know, Marvin the paranoid android from uh <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You end up with a bunch of weird characters that are just, you know, very content. Or even the movie Her, you know, where the right. AIs were all, you know, they didn't have bodies, but they were very human and they had interests and, you know, goals and things they wanted to do and not really necessarily try to take over the world because that's no fun. They kind of want to want to contemplate life and enjoy things and right, right. meet people, you know, um, I don't know. We'll so see. there are a couple of other things I wanted to mention yeah. on this topic. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, one of the ways that AIs are being developed is that they're being given a tremendous amount of data to work on. And um, either either as their base, um, base programming or um, you know, basically a database of information that somehow defines their behavior. One of the problems that is coming up, and I think this has already happened a time or two, is we very often, heck, Part of your job and my job in helping people with their computers is to understand why did the computer do that? When it comes to AI, that is quickly becoming an unanswerable question. Mm. And I say that because in theory, it's a computer, it's running software, it's following instructions. 
um, there's really no randomness involved, uh, or there doesn't need to be any randomness involved for a lot of what it does, which means that given the exact same initial state, it should produce the exact same result. Working backwards, given a result, you should, in theory, be able to go back and see, okay, this is the initial state or some aspect of um, the transformation that caused that final result. That may or may not still be true. The problem is the amount of information that's involved, the number of calculations, the number of, of rules and inputs and decisions and all these kinds of things um, are becoming so huge that there's simply no way to, in a reasonable amount of time even, um, decide, okay, yeah, this is how the computer came up with this answer. We're past that point in a lot of AI-based stuff. Um, the, the closest we can say is that the computer did this because, well, this is what the AI decided. And here are some general rules about the AI that may or may not have led to that decision or led to that output. Um, but we can't say for certain that it was, you know, A plus B plus C equals D. It's no, there's like a gazillion different variables that went into that result. I think that that's one of the things that is going to become both more common, more obvious, and more controversial as we allow computers to do things. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to my car. Ah. Um, I I drive a Tesla, and uh, today, for example, um, I was I this morning I took my dog to the vet. Uh, routine stuff, and on the way back, I was in a traffic jam because it was mm -hmm. rush hour here, so I let the car drive. I mean, literally, I just let I you know you have to keep your hand on the steering wheel, but I let the car drive. That's a form of, it, of artificial intelligence. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's taking action on my behalf. It's doing things um, that one could argue uh, are life critical, right? I mean, if the car suddenly decided, meh, who needs speed limits and floors it, I'm, in, I'm kind of in trouble. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of trust there. Where does that happen? What, as I understand it, the approach that Tesla uses is what's called machine learning which is not artificial intelligence. It's one of the ways that um, artificial intelligence systems develop their data set. So much like um, you know, the, the Lambda AI is given this large repertoire of data to churn through to develop its, um, um, you know, its ability to respond conversationally, what Tesla has done apparently is uh, they're constantly slurping up data from all the different Tesla cars that are driving. And from that information, they're seeing this is how people drive. This is how you stay between two lanes. This, these are the actions you take when this kind of stuff happens. Um, and improving that model over time. This is like, the, if, if I understand it correctly, and I, and I could be wrong, um, but if I understand correctly, this is like the definition of a neural network is that uh -huh. you are learning not from a pre preconceived base of data, but you are taking input in real time and adjusting what you know as you go. Uh, now with millions of cars on the road, Tesla has, you know, the, the, these inputs probably aren't making massive changes to its algorithms, but 
that's kind of how things have come together. Machine learning is different than AI. It feeds AI. It's a way that the data gets into an AI, but it is not in itself AI. Um, and yeah, um, I'm driving a car that knows how to drive. Is it sentient? I hope not, uh -huh. but, um, but it's doing some really, really smart things. Coincidentally, uh, there was a news story a couple of days ago that um, you know some number of accidents, I think it's like 400 now, um, were took place while the car was in um, essentially autopilot, as it's called. Yeah. And um, yep, that happens. I mean, it's not perfect, but then neither are human drivers. Right. Um, I, I saw that article too, and I was very disappointed that even though I looked at several versions of that article, mm -hmm. I couldn't find the statistical comparison, like percentage of rides right. versus accidents. That's what I wanted to see. Oh, here's yeah. a number of Teslas that were in accidents. or not, not, But I couldn't find it like, well, is that higher or lower than human drivers? Right. My understanding, and unfortunately, the only numbers that I've seen on this are actually provided by Tesla, who, of course, have skin in the games. But um, uh, that if you look at the, the number to care about is um, accidents per mile driven, I think, yeah, okay. something along those lines. And their claim is that even that, that you are significantly safer, like by an order yeah. of magnitude safer um, when you've got autopilot turned on than when you have it turned off. Uh, and, and the articles, they don't say that. I know, I know they don't. Just... And I wish they did. And I think one of the reasons that they don't is that. Um, the data currently isn't something that's independently uh, um, uh, confirmable. Yeah. I think, like I said, the data is only coming from Tesla, which of course makes it immediately suspect. Um, I tend to believe it, um, but nonetheless, um, that's the position that they're taking. But the bottom line here is that there are things that the AI will do that um, you may or may not make sense, may or may not be better than a human, even if it's better than a human, if it's not perfect, which it by definition could never be, uh, there will always be scrutiny. To a certain extent, there always should be, but it mm -hmm. shouldn't be the kind of thing that says AI is evil, um, especially not when it's when when it's replacing something that is worse at what it does, right? I mean, um, you know, like I said, if if turning on AI reduces the number of fatalities, yeah, turn on AI. That's that's a no-brainer to me. Yeah. Um, but because it's AI, people innately distrust it and they aren't willing to do the apples to apples comparison. Um, that's what makes it kind of difficult. Right. And and I uh, you have to also compare like the key thing you said is fatalities. Because it could be that the, the number of fatalities is even great, more greatly reduced mm -hmm. when using self-driving cars mm -hmm. versus the number of accidents that are reduced. Because, you know, it may be that an accident is unavoidable, but mm -hmm. because of the AI that's in there, like right now, my car doesn't have self-driving. It right. does have the automatic braking thing, right? Oh, Which I right. reminds me every time I pull into my garage, I have to get right up. <laughs> I, have, I have a like a little um, cushion and the, on the wall that I have to push. And when I push it, I know I'm inches from the wall. Well, the front of the car sees that as you're about to hit something. <laughs> it will automatically break and flash all these red lights at me. 
And it's like, yes, I know I've hit the soft, cushy pillow. <laughs> I'm supposed to hit the soft, cushy pillow. Would you please stop breaking for me automatically? But, but, but people are soft and cushy too. Well, yeah, yeah. But the th- <laughs> but the idea is <laughs> that um, that I know that you know, in, if if I were to my attention be drawn away, or the car in front of me were to break way too fast, uh-huh. that my car is going to actually be able to break faster than I will be able to move my foot to the pedal. Yes. So the accident that ends up being a an accident where I hit, hit the rear of a car but I'm okay. Right. The alternative could have been that I'm dead right? because I hit it too hard. And right. that's also important to look at. Another thing, and this really goes back to the whole AI thing, is that when a human, if a human's fully in charge of a car and they get into an accident and the accident is examined and a reason is determined, reason like they were texting, they were drunk, right. they were distracted, they're a really bad driver, <laughs> whatever that reason is, they could say, Hey, we found the reason now to fix it. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> D- distracted driving. We need more billboards that say, don't drive while texting. You know, we can try. Right. But when an AI gets into an accident, the information can be looked at. And sometimes maybe a lot of the time mm-hmm. they could say, ah, we could fix this, right? Fix it, <laughs> implement it. Tell would, all of the other AI car manufacturers out there. I wouldn't even use the word fixed. Yeah. I would say we could improve this. Improve it. Because and fix implies that yeah. it's fixed and it'll never happen oh, yeah, again. That's true. Right? It's, it's one of those things where you want it to happen less often or be less yeah. likely. So that's I, I, a fascinating way, to, I think, to look at it in terms of mm-hmm. like how AI car driving, self-driving cars is different than human driving cars. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think humans are going to get any better at the distracted driving and not drunk driving and all that stuff. But AI, you know, AI that runs cars, it actually can get better and better and better. What I'm looking forward to, and I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime, but um, if all the cars on the road are AI and they can talk to each other, then um, it enables all sorts of things like um, significantly safer traffic, significantly more dense, faster moving traffic, um, just all sorts of interesting things. Or, you know, hey, I need that exit coming up. Would you guys move out of the way? And they do, right? As opposed to most people today, which are more likely to just sort of flip you the bird. Um, your AI will never flip you the bird. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Anyway, um, so I thought that, like I said, the, the 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 bottom line to me is I think the 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 discussion about sentience and um, yeah. self awareness and so forth um, is kind of a red herring, uh, mostly because we have no way to define what it is. Certainly not in any way that works in uh, what I would call a deterministic or computer science ish kind of way. Um, it's all about philosophy, and that doesn't always mesh very well. Um, but it's also a detraction from the real issues, which is, you know, do we trust Google to be doing this kind of stuff? Do I trust Tesla to be doing this kind of stuff? Do we trust Microsoft? Do we trust Facebook? Um, who are the big players here? And once they let it go, do we trust the people that will have it in their hands? What will they be able to do with it? Um, and and from there. So very, very interesting situation. Yep. And it's going to continue to be, like I said, in not only a major genre of science fiction moving forward, but 
of uh, of nonfiction of people research and yes. people discussing it and um, and it is one of the biggest I think unknown questions that we have in the future is if we ever do get conscious sentient self aware AI what will it really be like will it mm-hmm. be Marvin the paranoid android will it be <laughs> Hal will it be quiet and non conversational will it be, I mean what what are we headed towards what is it right. going to right. be like right. um yeah it's fascinating it's almost like up there with you know with i mean you think of like well, in other sciences they know what they're trying to figure out you know they know what part of physics they know what particles are looking for what questions are trying to answer but with ai it is it's just it's a, it's a big question of what's going to happen when they're able to break through some of these barriers and that they've been trying to do for decades now mm-hmm. in artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when is it truly going to be years from now? Will it be centuries from now? That's why I was fascinated to read this book that takes place in 2500 something. Right. And this and this computer, a quantum, it's called a quantum computer. So I understand it's using some technology well beyond what we have now. Of course. But it, it, it it's unusual for it to become sentient. It doesn't seem to have happened before. 500 years in the future. Yep. Like so. I said, I suspect it's not going to be an event. It's going to be a uh, a process. Yeah. And at some point we're going to say, oh, I don't like how far it's gone. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, uh, so your, yes. your Ain't It Cool then is that book, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a Kim Stanley Robinson's Aurora, which is actually not about artificial intelligence at all. Well, I mean, some point it is. It's about a colony ship uh, sent out from Earth in 25 something. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, colonize Tal Seti. Mm-hmm. So the typical, you know, rotating rings around a central, right. you know, ship. So there's artificial gravity being created and it takes 170 years uh, for oh, the ship so to reach. Multi-general type. Multi-generational. Yep. 2,000, yep. a steady population of 2,000 people. Um, the story takes place at the last decade and when they arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Kim Stanley Robinson, of course, is one of our current masters of science fiction, uh, known of course for his red Mars, uh, green Mars, blue Mars books that he wrote a long time ago, mm-hmm. their masterpieces. And this is, or, this book, Aurora is actually much more recent. I think only about six or seven years ago. I'm going to have to admit that I have never read any Kim Stanley Robinson. Oh. I'm certainly familiar with the titles that you mentioned and the name, right? It's just one of those things that's never made it onto the radar. So I may have to, uh, excellent. Very, very scientific minded. Things are explained. Things are, you know, obviously you've researches the science Mm -hmm. part of science fiction, Mm -hmm. uh, very well. And, but he has still has people and plots and uh, lots of interest. And one day I got to reread the, the Mars series, um, because it's interesting, and of course, as we approach over the next uh, two decades, actually, maybe hopefully, really trying to go to Mars, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting. Because I don't think there—I would say there's not a single person that's somehow involved with any planning for any Mars mission, whether it's NASA or SpaceX or anything, that hasn't read those books because <laughs> because they were the first really realistic. Like, what would it really be like? How would it really work? How would we really get there? And what would really happen once we got there? Um, you don't think John Carter of Mars was a... Uh... Yeah, that was a little bit... <laughs> yeah, that might have been... 
a little bit off from yeah, just a little a <laughs> little bit off but you know, it'd be nice to know if we could find a cave somewhere where you could just you know walk into the cave and then walk out of the cave and on mars and yes exactly and all that <laughs> although those you know to be fair though i because i have read a lot of those john carter books mm-hmm. and considering how old those books are mm-hmm. some of the concepts like being able to use light as propulsion mm-hmm. and how the different frequencies of light do different things in a scientific way with machines mm-hmm. it's really kind of interesting to read that and say this was written when 1914 yeah. what yeah they, they barely even knew what mars looked like much less you know what how a lot of these things would would act yeah um, the thing that always got me interesting you know that, that i appreciated the moment i read it was simply his understanding of how gravity would be different and how moving movement would be different on the planet so yep yeah, it's, I don't know. Fascinating books. Um, uh, obviously, in other ways, very different than modern science fiction, but still. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, so mine goes, I go completely nonfiction today. It's building a second brain. It has nothing to do with AI. I'm not building myself my own personal AI. <laughs> um, it's basically a, a book that I finished last night, actually, by Tiago Forte on um, basically a structure for uh, note-taking in a way that uh, note-taking and accumulation that actually serves you. I'm just finding it fascinating. Um, it's something that um, I wish I would have had, you know, mumble years ago when I was in college and taking really, really crappy notes. Um, mm. And it's one of those things where, yep, I can see myself using this moving forward as I, you know, go out and do my thing here with various, in various genres, not just Ask Leo, but some of my other publications as well. I also want to mention that we started the last season of Vikings. I think I mentioned Vikings here before. Mm. Um, It was originally on the History Channel. We, for whatever reason, didn't cotton on to it back then, Um, but we did. We got hooked and uh, we've been periodically binging it and having a good time with it. It is, the thing that I find interesting about it is that, I end up looking at Vikings. Uh, normally we have IMDB open on the laptop next to us, which yes. I'll admit that's open in one tab. Mm-hmm. The other tab is Wikipedia. And I do that because while it is not historically accurate, certainly not to any kind of letter, um, it is at least historically related. The characters that are there existed and they some of the things that they have the characters do actually have a basis in history and i just find that fascinating to be able to go back and say oh yeah you know this guy he really existed he really had that name he really had these characteristics and so forth so he really was king of norway from here to here and that kind of stuff so it's just i'm I, we're having fun with that we're coming in on it on its final season closing in yeah cool uh, let's see. So blatant, blatant self-promotion, the closest thing we have to an ad on this on this show. Um, I'm going to point po- folks at if someone hacks my Gmail, can they hack my other accounts? It's askleo.com slash 146153. It's an underlying concept that I think a lot of people overlook. That is simply that having your email account hacked is not just about your email account. Um, it is typically... Uh, the first domino in what for many people is a very, very long string of dominoes that can cause a lot of damage uh, once they start to get pushed over. So it's something to pay attention to. If someone hacks my Gmail, can they hack my other accounts? Yep. And for me, a question I often get asked is about uh, backing up 
with Time Machine at the same time you're using iCloud Drive or indeed any cloud service, really. Mm -hmm. Because if you're using iCloud, uh, a cloud service where you, the files aren't always on your local drive, can it actually back them up locally? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, of course it can't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that simple. It's actually because uh, many people will say, well, yeah, if I'm using that, then my stuff's not getting backed up. Well, actually, most of it is because every time you use a file, it's local. Right. And all your most used files are always going to be local. Right. So backups actually work to a point where mostly everything gets backed up, especially if you started backups at the very beginning. Um, it's it's an interesting scenario. The same thing, I'm just thinking it through, the same thing absolutely applies to uh, OneDrive yeah. on your PC, Dropbox, and other services, where they have this concept of you can have files in your cloud that aren't physically present on your hard exactly, disk. Exactly, yes, yeah. If, if they're not physically present on your hard disk, then the local copy is not going to get backed up. They're not, not going to get um, backed up, but does it need to? Because if the last yeah. time you accessed the file was a year ago, well, there's that. the file hasn't changed in a year. So your backup from a year ago is the same as the file that would be backed up today. Matter of fact, it would be backed up today because it would say, oh, this hasn't changed in a year. But that falls These, apart if you start the backup after you start using the cloud it, service. It also falls apart under a couple of other scenarios. One, if you have multiple machines, um, some of them may have some, but not all of what you've got. Um, like you said, you may not have backed up that that yeah. old file. The other, of course, is if you lose the online account, um, then you, you've got a class of stuff that is technically only backed up in the cloud. So if you lose access to the cloud, they're right. gone. If, yeah. Now, if you had started, the, if you the backup had started after you started using the cloud service, yep. then you might lose some. So it's, it's interesting, but you know, yes. it, it is, it's the kind of thing where there's no good answer. The only surefire way to do it, as, as I always tell people is, you need a big, a big enough hard drive on your main computer, whatever yep. that is, yep. to hold all your stuff. Yep. If you don't have that, then there are certain rules you need to follow, and yep. this is what's going to happen. And it may still be okay for most people. Yep. But it's not, you know, if you're like no, short, well, then you're buying the two terabyte or four terabyte drive or whatever it is you need. You can't cut corners. Yep. Yep. It's oh. funny because that's exactly the way I set it up. My machine, the yeah, machine that we're using right now has a massive external hard drive and its job is to have all of my Dropbox and all of my Google Drive yep. and all of my OneDrive specifically for to. that reason. Yep. Yeah. All righty. All right. I think that ought to do it for this week. Sounds the good. show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh166. If you've got a comment or a question for us, be sure to leave us a comment on that show notes page. Thanks always for listening. Thanks as always for listening. <laughs> and we will see you here probably not next week. I hear somebody's going to be traveling, yep, but we will be back real soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.